just took. Uh, I was just given a roll of tissue paper to blow my nose. Because roll of, of toilet paper. Roll of toilet. Sorry, roll of toilet. Yeah, there's no roll of tissue paper. Sorry. Well, it's toilet tissue paper, <laughs> tissue toilet paper. All right, we're we're going down into semantics. Semantics. <laughs> All right. So I got a roll of toilet paper yeah. and I blew my nose. Uh-huh. And I did what every normal uh-uh. red-blooded American uh-uh. does. No, no, uh-uh. I no. stuck uh-uh. it in the hole no. to save for later. No. And you guys were like, we're going to use the tissue. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you can use the toilet paper around it. Okay, it's, you, you're okay. not using the one yeah, that I blew you, my you, nose okay. in. You know what this is like? This is like if somebody brought a plate of wings to the table. And you were like, you ate one wing and you ate it all down at the bone. And then you put it right in the middle of it. No, it'd be like if you t- took the exactly. bone and then you put it in a container that was separate from all the other. No, 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 yes, no, no. There yes, is yes, no yes, container. It's the hole. No, the okay, tissue it's touched like, the other it's tissue. If you inside. put it in a container that was too small and therefore still made it so that your bone touched the rest of the oh, fresh okay. wings. No, that because your your germ tissue is blossoming like a rose. The, it would forever yes, to get exactly. to the part where the tissue would would touch it. Nonetheless, no, when I okay, did t- it, when I did get there in a week or so or in a couple of days, <laughs> I would be touching your snot tissue. You would not be touching because I rolled it up and I put it in the middle. So no way you would you be touching any of my snot. I'm glad we're talking about serial killers because that <laughs> is some serial killer behavior. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about Dorothy Apuente because just like Dorothy Apuente, you're acting like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and just like her, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I didn't notice you guys dug a grave outside. Oh, that old, that old chestnut? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> thank you for... This is the bloody podcast. <laughs> we're already starting off uh, with a riff. <laughs> so. That's great. My name is Lori Roggenkamp. I'm Maria Felix. I'm Cash Up Gamalik. I'm sick. Aww. So is Lori. I was going to say, that's why you guys are both like extra haughty. <laughs> Hotty-totty about, about the tissue today. I'm recovering. Like, I'm more of in recovery than cash. Yeah, that's but true. like yeah, in the yeah. last five I'm minutes, so like I'm, I've been getting out and just like listening to the, the cacophony that is the both of you. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't. Cough. I didn't plan that. No, that's natural. Get it? Cacophony. 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 That's pretty good. Oh, yes. I'm very hot and very cold right now. Well, speaking of hot and cold, Dorothea Puente, part two. So I just want to tell you, remind you guys where we left off. We had just talked about Esther Busby's death where she died in 1981. She was a victim of Dorothea Puente. She didn't die by Dorothea Puente's hand per se, but she was in and out of the hospital due to poisonings or ailments that couldn't be figured out. And then they, the uh, social workers that were working at the hospital and working with Esther Busby realized that every single time they Esther Busby went home with Dorothea Puente, she uh, got sick. Every single time she came back, she got uh, she got better. And then it kept happening, and they think that deteriorated her health so to the point where she ended up dying a year later. So the two women who were the ones who really kind of took hold were Ballinger and Rossi, and they were the ones who, who were like... What, women hold of what? Ball, uh, who kind of took control of Esther Busby's care. 
because Ballinger was after the one. Dorothea Puente, or no, because of Dorothea Puente. All right, so <laughs> Ballinger and Rossi found four more patients under Dorothea's care who experienced health emergencies. One woman died after repeated heart attacks within minutes of eating or drinking food Dorothea had prepared for her. So they were like, this is super suspicious. So they took this to the police. And the police were like, well, that's true. Which we'll find with other patients is that the issue with these elderly patients is they also have all these other health issues. So it's hard to prove that Dorothea specifically did something that caused their health to deteriorate to the point of dying. Her alone. So that was the issue that they had to prove. So they start investigating and they find Malcolm McKenzie. And Malcolm McKenzie went out to drink at the Zebra Club in January of 1979. He was in his 70s and he would go to the Zebra Club and drink and talk for hours. One night, a very attractive, well-dressed woman came in and struck up a conversation. She was really bright. She knew how to dress. She knew how to dance. And she said her name was Dorothea. So they go... (laughs) I'm sorry. No. I'm Dorothea. Uh, How's it going? We should old smash. (laughs) Let's do it. That's what is he this said. how you guys really flirt? Because this is sad. Yeah, honestly, a lot of time it's just like stupid things we hear from <laughs> movies. Like we watched this horror movie once and we can't remember what it is. Um, but we'll say hi to each other the way that guy said hi to like because like the lady's like introducing people through a or he's she's introducing somebody through a house. She's like, "That's my handyman, Ed," and the and the handyman turned around. He's just like, "Hi." And so now we'll say hi to each other, like, hi. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who hit on the other person first? Cash. Cash hit, hit on, on me. Hit on you first? What was your line? What did you say? Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it was hi that I just coughed for 20 seconds. <laughs> and she knew then. And she was like, hmm. That's the one. Yeah. There there we go. Go. Yeah. <laughs> I like the t- the timbre of his cough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a real jazz jazz pattern to it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm dying. So they go back to his apartment and Dorothea fixes him a drink. Ooh. Well, all of a sudden he starts to feel his legs start to freeze up and it's like it's like almost like he said like a freezing sensation from his legs to his his fingertips, and it was a paralytic. He couldn't move, and he w- was still conscious, but he was and he was still able to hear and see, but he just couldn't talk. So what he saw was Dorothea was searching his apartment, opening drawers, went through his closets, checked his clothes. She found a small red suitcase and started pulling things out and putting it in the suitcase. She found a collection of wheat pennies and What cash. are wheat pennies? What do you okay, wait real quick, what do you think they are? I think they're pennies um <sighs> made of wheat. I don't know. I, I think maybe they're like from a certain year. I think they're pennies that have that don't have Lincoln's face on them, but instead like you know, some wheat? Wheat. Like bucks of or Yeah, bucks, bucks, of, bucks of wheat. Is that oh. right? 
Bucks we, of wheat. We um, buck. That sounds as like city a thing. folk. We don't know. Yeah. The wheat penny is a classic, iconic, early 21st century American coin with a face value of one cent that was minted from 1909 to 1956. I mean, that Ooh. sounds like every penny. Oh, from yeah, 01, oh, from 09 to 56. Yeah. The most valuable wheat penny is the Lincoln wheat penny, which is worth $185,000. Whoa. What does that mean? I don't know. Like, what make? How do we tell it's a wheat penny? The Lincoln penny became known as the wheat penny because the reverse featured two stalks of wheat on the reverse. You were right. Holy shit, guys! Huh? What do you think? What I win? (laughs) So first off, I got it because I cut some stuff out. Castor's blew his nose with the, and then looked at me like, "This is how you do it." <laughs> and put the put it in the in in his little trash bag. Why don't you go ahead and put that trash bag over your head? <laughs> so Dorothea was started putting cash that she found around the apartment. She also went through his pockets, just kind of going around and ransacking. And then all of a sudden, she's like looking around the apartment. Meanwhile, Mackenzie's still totally paralyzed, right? She's looking around the apartment. She locks eyes with Mackenzie and looks at him cold and starts walking towards him and then takes his uh, ring finger, his pinky ring, and pries off his pinky ring and grabs it and goes and leaves the apartment. Hmm. How terrifying must that have been? Be completely paralyzed and see the woman who's ransacking just start walking towards you. Yeah, that's so scary. Yeah, that feels like a pretty good horror film right there. So, Mackenzie laid, uh, they don't say exactly how long, but eventually he could start moving and he immediately calls the police. It didn't take long to find Dorothea because she tried to pass two of Mackenzie's checks at Joe's Corner several days later. She, however, insisted that he gave them to her. Hmm. She also claimed to be 72 years old. She was 53 at the time. (laughs) This man wanted to go... He claims to be older again. Yeah. Uh I think she, because she realizes... How she realized that, like, she could get men to do stuff when she was, like, young and pretty, she now realizes she could probably do the same by being old and frail. Well, she did that Um, before. She was, like... The jump that she made before was, like, she said she was, like, 30 when she was 16 or something? Yeah. Well, that was to get the marriage certificate. Yeah, that's crazy, too. So, she, well, she always just lies. Yeah. She's like a big liar. Mm-hmm. Dorothea tells the um, the police officers, this man wanted to go steady with me, but I wouldn't do it. I didn't take anything from him. Then later, she goes, I've got a psychiatric condition. I forget my actions. Which <laughs> <laughs> so. is just a fun thing to say. <laughs> Where am I? So. Help me. <laughs> so now the trial's underway because they have they finally arrested her for Mackenzie. Then they hear about Irene Gregory. Irene Gregory was ill and needed to help through her for her daily routine. One morning in 1982, she was visited by a kind professional named Betty Peterson. She had met Betty Peterson previously, getting her hair done at Marcine's Beauty Parlor. Mrs. Gregory had Gregory had fell down next to Betty Peterson, and Betty Peterson immediately rushes over to her and helps her back up and checks and makes sure that she's okay and that, you know, she's not bruised or anything. This mm-hmm. happened at the hair salon? Marcine's, yeah. Yeah, at the hair salon. Yeah, Marcine's. 
<laughs> Do you guys know what happened at Marcin's beauty parlor? All I know is Marcin was doing a rinse, and somebody fell, and all hell broke loose. <laughs> Did you see? I heard. What did you even see? Well, I saw through hearing it. Well, who was it? I don't know. I heard her name was Betty. Now, Betty's name was real slut. Oh, that, that old Betty? That old Betty. Oh, she's as loose as a $5 quilt. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> That's right. Oh, her stitching's undone. Exactly. You catch my grip. You mm-hmm. catch my drift. Mm-hmm. The stuffing's coming out. I don't need to explain <laughs> that, stuff you. There you go. You. You, mm-hmm. You're catching on. That's right. Her, her bottom's loose. <laughs> Ladies, I get, I get so excited that you invite me over to lunch. <laughs> me too. <laughs> what are we going to eat? <laughs> stuff. Um, so, <laughs> Miss Betty Peterson checks her blood pressure, which she claims is too high. And gives it's too high. Yeah, she probably was like too high. <laughs> gives Irene Gregory some pills that she says was prescribed by her doctor, which to me bores me because it's like, how does this woman know what is and isn't prescribed by your doctor? You just met her. Yeah, I mean, you got to be a stupid person. So, in some capacity, does she say like, they're prescribed by the the what's her name, Betty? Betty Peterson, yeah. Does she um does does she say that they're prescribed to Betty or to her own? Like no, her well, own. we'll get to it, but I guess I'll reveal it now. Betty oh. Peterson is dun 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 Dorothea. Huh? Oh, yeah. I'm I I'm totally lost. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Dorothea was the other lady giving. Yeah. Her no, medicine. Irene Gregory is the old lady. Oh. Irene Gregory is the frail old lady. You think? Oh. You think Dorothea was doing a switcheroo? You think Dorothea was the one who was being the old lady for a change? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is. She's, where such, we're at she's now. such a liar. It's hard to keep up. It's really hard to keep up with this little bitty. She's just a lying slut. She is. I mean, she's a lying hoe. Okay, she gets paid. She's a professional. Not anymore. Wait, the difference is that a slut, a slut doesn't get paid. (laughs) That was like that. That was like the high school thing. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Well, I didn't go to high school. Oh, where Mm. did you go? The woods. The woods. Thank you, baby. (laughs) All right. Well, someone who didn't go to high school would not have a good answer for that. See, there you go. That checks. I was taught social study by squirrels. Um, quick, <laughs> who was our seventh president? R.J. Lanahan. Yep, checked out. All right, so. A vote for Lanahan means a vote for justice. Okay, keep going, please. Miss <laughs> Gregory woke up several hours later and found that her valuable diamond ring was missing. She went back to Marcin's a few, z- few days later and saw, sitting across from her, Betty Peterson. That. Oh. <laughs> Nailed it. She contacted the police and then also went to the uh, the woman who was doing Betty Peterson's hair and was like, uh, excuse me, that woman robbed me a couple weeks ago. Could you let her know that I'm contacting the police? And the, the hairdresser was like, oh, Dorothea? Yeah, sure. <laughs> she just was like... Fucking Marcine. She knows what's going on. She's yeah, she's it. like, I'm not going to get involved with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's going to tell us about it. Unfortunately... <laughs> None of her jewelry was found, and Dorothea denied everything. That, come on. But she only took the diamond ring. She only took the diamond ring. So that's easy to hide. So, we also have... What are you implying? You just stick it up your hoo-ha. Okay, I mean, cool. That's what I thought you were implying. Yeah. yeah. It's like throwing a golf pencil down a hallway at this point. For how long she was a prostitute? 
It's There's... more likely that it was like she had to like squeeze her legs together to keep it in. So now we have Claire Melville and Loretta Chalmers. They are both elderly women who employed Dorothea as a live-in attendant or occasional helper. Okay. The, at this time, Dorothea was employed by the Quality Care Nursing Agency, which is also crazy because she is a felon. Mm-hmm. Like, she's pled guilty to forgeries, and so she should not be employed by any healthcare professionals. I have a question. Yes. Sometimes these institutions are open for years and years. Is quality care still uh, a functioning... I've heard that name. I feel I've like heard I've heard it, that yeah. name before too, but it might just be that we've heard. But those. like all of those nursing like care companies all have like names that all sound the same or are sure. the same yeah. because I think you could probably register. I sound like a the bunch same. of quality cares right now. Yeah, like uh-huh. for some reason that a lot of them are just allowed to have the same name. Uh. So that's a stain on the company for sure. That's oh, gonna really fuck yeah. with their Yelps. Both ladies discovered that checks and personal belongings missing were missing after Dorothea was in their home. The checks began appearing with forged signatures on them. Unfortunately, again, they were both bedridden and couldn't testify against her. Oh, elderly abuse. Yeah. So that's her whole thing. (laughs) Get used to it. It's coming up. Yeah, it's going to get worse. I'm going to go to bed. Dorothea Gosling. (laughs) This is August 1981. Dorothea was... Not sorry. I keep saying Dorothea, so I'm so used to it now. Dorothy Gosling. Oh, okay. This was in August 1981. Ryan Gosling's grandmother. Yes. <laughs> Ryan Gosling. Wouldn't that be great if that was Ryan Gosling's grandmother? Maybe it, it is. is. Is it? It could be. I, no. I, you know what? I say it is. Bloody Therefore, podcast. it is so. Yeah. Bloody podcast. It's Ryan Gosling's grandmother. I decreed. <laughs> <laughs> Change the course of history. You know, Ryan's going to be listening to this. He's going to oh. be like, oh, I will say this. I, Ryan isn't a huge fan, but he listens because Eva Mendez is a big fan. Well, Are they together? Yeah. You didn't oh, know that? They no. have kids together. No, I didn't. Have, I didn't remember know. we were over at their house like two years ago? That, that <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Guys, don't hide it. You're best friends with them. This is Hollywood. <laughs> we're best friends with everybody. Yeah. This is how things happen. Well, I got to be honest with you. I haven't talked mm-hmm. to ScarJo since that whole R- R- Ryan Reynolds incident. So, mm-hmm. What happened there? I'm she so out it. of the loop. No. Oh, it was really gross. Scar- Scarlett Johansson took tissue from a toilet paper roll and stuck the toilet paper in the middle of the toilet paper hole. What a fucking monster. Guess whose side we're on. <laughs> she Ren- should just a- kill herself. It's a Reynolds wrap. So what? I'm moving past it. So <laughs> Dorothy Gosling is 84 years old. She hires Dorothea. She Im- immediately discovers that $3,500 worth of gold rings and other jewelry is missing. Gosling went to bed to find possessions gone, including checks. Huh. So this is the same pattern as before. She would fall asleep after being cooked or given something by Dorothea and then would find that property was missing. However, no drugs were found in her system, but as we'll see in, off, uh, in a lot of this case, drugs weren't found in the system because they didn't have the technology to test for the drugs. Oh, damn well. The defense would always try and argue, well, drugs weren't found in her system, so that means she wasn't drugged. No, it's that they don't have the technology to test for, like, Dalmamine or stuff like that, so... Was all this stuff like cold cased and then 
refigured out by detectives? No, this was while it was happening. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was while... this is. They had started the investigation, and then they went to... And then they kind of found out more people came forward and talked about how they were also victims of Dorothea. So now Dorothea is awaiting trial. She faces a long prison sentence. And each time that she gets caught by police or she gets hauled in for another um, charge, her bail rises 15000 to $30,000. So she's starting to feel a little desperate. What's she up to now? So now 30? we go to Dorothy. Yeah, now we're at 30. Okay. So now we get to Dorothy Osborne. So she has been a friend of Dorothea for about a year. She's 49 years old. So now we're at 45K. Yeah, now we're at like maybe 45K. Okay. Yeah. So she's been a friend of, of Dorothy, uh, Dorothea's. So mid-morning, May 16th, 1982, she gets a phone call from a drunk Dorothea who wants to come over. I'm drunk. Everything's going wrong. Everybody's taking advantage of me. You've got to come over. But Osborne don't, didn't want to go out. So Dorothea is like, all right, well, if you don't want to, if you won't come over here, I'll come over to you. Has everybody ever had that friend who's like, I'm so upset right now. I need somebody to come over. And you're just like, yeah, no. Yeah, I, mean, I have. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah. I've had that where my emotional, like, willingness is like, you can come to me, but I'm not coming to you. Yeah. I would rather go to them because then if you get somebody in your house, they may not leave. So oh. <laughs> I'm like, at least I can leave That's true. their That's place. True. That's true. I just don't want to be alone right now. Okay, okay, I'm coming over. I'm leaving by midnight. Uh, oh, see, I don't even your think problem, about that. Your problem better not be solved. Better be solved by midnight because that's that's the longest I'll go for. Uh, I don't have that in my life right now. It's dope. See, I'm so lazy that I'm like, I don't care if you never leave. I just don't want to have to get in my car, drive all the way over to you, find parking, get out of my car. Like, no. you know? Yeah, I guess it depends on the parking situation for sure. Like, if you know they live in, like, Koreatown or somewhere really crowded, you're just... You're going to be like, Ugh. I mean, I'm going to do another <sighs> bloody podcast blanket <laughs> statement. Every psycho person in the world lives in a place with shitty parking. No <clears throat> sane person has ever lived in a place. <laughs> Sometimes, you, a lot of times you have no choice. My old place had insanely insane bad parking. parking. Okay, I will say this. Some sane people live with shitty parking, but mm. all psychos live with shitty parking. There's never been a time that I've that a friend <laughs> that I've known ha- who... It turns out to be a psycho has had great parking. No, people with no. big houses. No, big people with big houses. Yeah, but has no. it been shitty parking? No. No, it's been nice parking. It's been really park- yeah. yeah. Psychos and psychos, yo. They live in all parts of town. You can't keep making bloody podcast blanket statements that only are your uh, opinions. I feel like I can. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a you're trying to make podcast blanket statement. You're making I bad can't. logos. You're, you're not <laughs> making logos. <laughs> oh my god! I'm just here to make cash lab at this point. You're doing a good job. All right. You're not getting stay sexy 
don't get murdered. You're, <laughs> you're not doing it. It's well, not happening. It's murdered. not happening with all psychos have bad parking. That's we've that's been taken. I do feel like a psychopath would hear that and then bring it up in an argument with somebody else and be like, "See, I'm fucking. I'm not a psycho." Yeah. Be like, what are you talking about? You dude? park so easily. <laughs> <laughs> you park so easily. It's your fault. So 11 a.m. Dorothea shows up and immediately wants to start fixing Osborne a drink. So, <laughs> which is a sign. Which is How's it going? Are you thirsty? Are you fucking thirsty? You want some fucking vodka? Yeah. You want yeah. a screwdriver? I know, I know I'm saying fucking a lot, but that's just kind of my fucking yeah. style. Yeah. Can I make you fucking drink? <laughs> yeah. Can I take this fucking drink in your fucking mouth? Fucking no, dude. <laughs> which to me is like, have you ever had somebody who like, who like immediately starts encompassing your space? It is this. It is like mothers. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't make <laughs> me comfortable. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, Here. I don't mind that because. I, I normally don't mind that stuff like that. I meant you. I meant when they like start rearranging your stuff. Oh yeah. Oh well, that's a mom for sure. Yeah. My mom goes to my brother's apartment in Chicago with like cleaning supplies in her suitcase. So like it's yeah, like, that's she, such a know. mom thing to yeah. do. I don't stand for that shit though. Like like let's say let's say we have a meeting. Somebody comes over here. It's it's it's. Mm, don't give somebody... away, don't give away our secrets, baby. <laughs> okay, mm. I I will say back in my old place before we lived together, if I was at home and like friends would come over, they'd be like, "Oh, hey man, what you got?" Like go through my fridge, I'd be like, "I don't know where the fuck you think you are." Yeah. But this is my house. I guess you can I've, ask me first. I guess I've never really had friends like that. Because like whenever they did do that, it was because it was, it was like if you if you did it, Lori. Yeah. It'd be like, take whatever you want. Like, I've never been really possessive about that, I guess. It's different with those friends. It's different with, like, you. Well, like, I've never had, yeah, I've never had obnoxious friends well, that, that just did that, I don't think. Unless they were, unless, also, I knew they were, like, starving. Cause, or, like, didn't have a lot to eat at their house because they were poor. Yeah. And then they came in and did that. I guess like, that makes sense. Because, like, if you came over to my house and you were just, like... But, see, I think the thing is, is, like, you said, you'd be, like, what do you got to eat? Like... It's just that, like, initial thing. Like, you could say that running to the fridge, and I think I would be okay. <coughs> but just, like, walking over and just being, like... Like, I imagine that, like... Oh, like, if you live next door? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they come over, like, yeah. go and just raid your fridge? Yeah, and they just don't even, like, talk to you about it. They're just, like, you open the door, and they just immediately, like... Like, I just immediately... I just imagine Dorothea immediately walks in and just starts making... Like, opening drawers and making a cocktail for her. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, make yourself at home. You know, like I, I would even be fine if it had been like, I'm going to fix you a drink. Like it was, I, it just was nothing. It was a stone cold silence. I've had, I've had that before with like a neighbor who just like walked in and was just like, I had the craziest thing happen to me today. I got to make a, make, make a drink yeah. to talk about it. And I'm like, all right, well. But see, he said that though. He said, I got to make a drink. Mm. I'm saying like, he would just say like nothing <laughs> and then just look at you while he's taking your stuff <laughs> make, like that to me is jarring like it's also he, hilarious yeah if he just like because there's no like you don't know what's happening you're like dude this is my like it's just like it's my stuff this is why you shouldn't talk to your neighbors yeah oh i don't i the only <laughs> thing i yell at my neighbors is get your fucking dogs in line <laughs> that's it that's all i yell at my neighbors <laughs> that's such a thing to say yeah that's just you to say getting red in the face and oh. shit I just start Standing yelling your at father's the, lawn. I just start yelling at the dogs. Like I'll just be like, "I'm so sorry, your your owners are pieces of fucking shit." <laughs> Tell your dogs to straighten up and fly right. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, Dorothea 
fixes Osborne a drink. Osborne takes a sip of the cocktail and immediately notices a biting strong taste. So Dorothea begins to all of a sudden start to start going on this diatribe with like no breather, just talking about all the stuff that's going on, all of her woes, how like the days after her, how all these charges are ridiculous, all this stuff. And as she's talking, Dorothy Osborne feels like like her eyes are turning into needles, you know, like oh she's God. like starting to like go back in her head and she's starting to lose consciousness and she's like, I don't know what's happening. And she just immediately passes out. And she wakes up sometime later and notices that her checks, credit cards, and six rolls of pennies. So again with the pennies. What's up with Dorothy and the pennies? Yeah. Those pennies. With her name and phone number written on them also. So Dorothy Osborne wrote her name and did she like I know it's probably on the roll, but I just imagine her trying to write her yeah. name on each penny. That's the first thing I thought. <laughs> I put my name on one side and my number on the other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm good at crib writing. That way they know it's me. So she calls the police. She finds a pill bottle left in the kitchen with white powder. And she... Um, at least she left my cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Finally. <laughs> something going right. <laughs> so she remembers something else. She remembers that, that Dorothea had told her she's going to Mexico. So on May 19th, Dorothea was arrested with a plane ticket to Mexico, Osborne's credit cards, and the roll of pennies in her hand. So she just like couldn't part she with the pennies. She loves pennies. those pennies. She loves pennies. Prostitution and pennies. That's that's the name of the game for her. Apparently. Maybe she started being like a hobbyist when she found the wheat pennies, and she was like, oh man, this is this is exhilarating. You lit a fire I, inside me. Yeah. A petty fire. I gotta fight yeah. more. <laughs> I'm off to Easy Street, Mexico. <laughs> yeah. For the infamous El Peso. <laughs> so now she's like, she's in jail without bail because she's tried to flee. And she, the judge also tacked on robbery and forgery charges to her. So she's on four counts. Irene Gregory, Malcolm McKenzie, and uh, Dorothy Osborne and then um, Claire Mailville or Loretta Chalmers or I think both of them maybe were together. Um, okay, so then she tries to she tries to get a plea deal. Well, she tries to get her whole sentence uh, pardoned because she tries to say that she should get a lesser sentence because she's helping Vice. And the DA doesn't believe this, so he calls a friend of the vice squad and the friend just like starts laughing immediately and goes, okay, <laughs> here's what's happening. Dorothea is in the women's section of the jail where the young girls are and they vent all of their problems with all of their boyfriends to her. Well, all of their boyfriends are like small time crooks or parts of part of gangs, right? So Dorothea is trying to use that knowledge of the boyfriends to trade those secrets with uh, Vice to see about getting a lesser sentence. But all of that stuff is, like, useless because, A, it's hearsay, and, B, it's, like, my boyfriend, like, didn't make it to our anniversary because, like, he was busy, like, saying that he was, like, beating some guy on, like, 7th Avenue. And they're, like, okay, find out what guy was beaten on 7th Avenue. <laughs> like, it's just, like, what? Ridiculous. There's nothing that you could use on that. She's a scavenger, man. She's and she wanted her whole sentence to be pardoned. So <clears throat> the judge says no, and he has her plead guilty to all four. He offers a plea and says that she will serve four years and eight months. So Dorothea tries one last time to get her sentence lowered and writes two letters to the judge, one on June 8th and one on June 25th. 
the summary for the one on June 8th says, I admit I'm a forger. Okay, that's basically it. She just kind of strolls on and then says that she she only really admits to forgery. The one on June 25th, she claims the plane tickets were so she could take care of her dead sister's needy family in Mexico. She wanted the judge to give her a, a short, the shortest sentence so she could help her family in Mexico by sending them money for meat, eggs, and milk. <laughs> I don't even have a bit. This yeah. is great. So the letters actually did nothing to help and actually made the judge realize that she was she could be essentially could be dangerous if possible. Yeah, she was such a huge liar. The, yeah, the, the judge didn't know what a liar she was until <laughs> this moment. Exactly. Yeah. Once again, Dorothy. But then what I find it funny is that so then the judge says I'm sentencing you to the max, which is five years. But then she got out. She got out early for good behavior. She got in three and a, three and a half years. But if she had done the plea deal, she would have stayed for the full four years, eight months. So it just doesn't make sense to me because it's like, well, then she would have stayed an extra year. Right. Like, I don't understand but how that works. What do you mean? She got out. She got off on good behavior because that's determined while you're in jail. Okay. Otherwise, she could have just served her five years. But, you know, good behavior becomes like it's, it's a thing because of overcrowding, too. Yeah. So if you're an old lady and, you know, you've been good for three years and you're, you're serving five, they're probably going to let you out. Okay. I just love how the max is just only two more months than the what the plea deal was. Like, <laughs> I'm sentencing you to the full five years. He just didn't want to let her out. Yeah. Because once it's at, once it's, she's in jail and she and she gets off on good behavior, that's out of his hands. That's someone else. Yeah, that's true. So I mean, due to uh, her parole, she would not be able to travel, contact other parolees, or be employed to care for the elderly or emotionally handicapped. She also meets a doctor. She gets assigned a... um. A psychiatrist named Doctor Duty, <laughs> which is so funny. To sure, me. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. And Duty really dudes it up. How do you spell Duty? D O O D Y. So Doctor Duty actually is one of the main helpers, accomplices, and there's really no reason why in Dorothea Puente's uh, murder spree, because all of these patients died in some form or another from too much dalmamine, which is like a flazepam, they said, okay? Now, there's arguments to say whether or not they died strictly from this or maybe a mixture of they were mercury poison, which was harder to test, you know, once they found the bodies. Um, Or they said that some of them might have been strangled or their oxygen was cut off. But dalmamine was in the system. Now, Dr. Judy was the one who prescribed all of these uh medic who prescribed the dolamine to her for the most part. She would go to different she would use as we would find she'll use like some other some person's medical card and buy some dolamine from somewhere or forge a prescription and say that she needed dolamine somewhere. So it's not necessarily understood as to why he did it. But Maybe he, she was having sex with duty. So actually Marie you just found out that it's actually pronounced dolamine, right? Yeah. And then it's a it's a sleep aid. It's a, it, that's right. It's supposed to be for helping you if you have insomnia, which you did point out that it was that would be a good reason to supply a lot of it, but like six hundred pills of it at some time. So wait, what year is this? 
19 well she met him in in she met him in 1979 but you know she would go on her mur- murder spree from 1979 to like 1987 1989 so oh, okay so the pill like the pill mill hadn't really started yet no so that's weird yeah that is weird it also says that it's a controlled substance that can cause paranoid or suicidal ideation and impair memory judgment and coordination Combining other substances like alcohol can slow breathing and possibly lead to death. Oh, okay. So hmm. now we know. Yes. Now oh, it's know. a benzo. Okay, it's a benzodiazepine. So in on August twentieth, nineteen eighty two, the DA who just got this conviction of Dorothea gets a phone call that says, We just read your name in the newspaper about Dorothea and her sentencing. We think she poisoned our mother. And that woman was Ruth Monroe. So she was actually not tried in the 1982 case because they didn't know about her. So one of the reasons why Dorothea Puente pled guilty in the whole thing is because they were using the fact that they had a they knew that she had murdered somebody in, in during this time period. Now everybody had been assuming that it was Esther Busby because technically you could say that Dorothea murdered Esther Busby because of all of the poisoning that accelerated her deterioration and caused her to die early, right? Well, now everybody, now the DA's thinking, oh, she probably thought we meant Ruth Monroe. Ruth Monroe was, in 1982, she met, uh, she actually met Dorothea Puente through her ex-husband, Harold. Her Harold was a, he he was retired and he actually had terminal cancer. And so what Ruth Monroe and Harold decided to do was kind of like do that thing where, you know, they kind of throw cash in their life savings, they sell their house and they just sort of go on like this wonderful trip. Mm. Well, the problem was, is that Harold was outlasting the trip. (laughs) It was not, he was sick, but he wasn't dying, but he wasn't dying. (laughs) (laughs) So, and Harold started becoming more bitter at the fact that he, like, now they're poor, right? And they don't have any money. And they sold their house. And his wife is now having to take on a job. Well, Harold is a drinker. And he meets Dorothea Puente at a bar. And he really likes Dorothea. And she introduces herself as Dorothea Montalvo. She's actually working there as a part-time cook and dishwasher. So... What's crazy is Harold, uh, Ruth Monroe, it's stated several times that Ruth Monroe and Dorothea Puente actually look a lot alike. Okay. So Harold's like, oh, you look like my wife. Let me introduce her. So then Dorothea and Harold and Ruth are like, yeah, let's, get, let's do a partnership. Let's do a partnership. And I guarantee you Harold's probably thinking like, let's do a three-way. It's like, definitely, if they got to let's do a partnership, it's because... They already had, like, at least three three-ways. Three? Yeah. And they, they've already fucked three times Three together. three-ways. Yeah. Three and, three-ways. That, and then, like, you're, like, sitting in bed, and then, like, you're all talking, and you come upon this crazy idea that you guys are a great, like, trio, and that you should all commit this, like, next stupid act together. Well, I feel like that's what happens. Like they're all smoking cigarettes, being nasty old, like old sex after Harold nasty is old dying sex. Of cancer. Yeah, it's it's such like disgusting, Ugh. like weird yellowing of the sheets. Ew. <laughs> so, uh, 
It's a collection of just old turkeys. <laughs> so Ruth says. So Ruth says it's yes. like piles of flesh. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm trying so hard to get past this because I don't want to vomit on this table. <laughs> oh, all right. You know what? I'm gonna start throwing tissues all over the place. No. Okay. So Ruth says, "Yeah, actually, you know what? I have a little bit of savings." So, you know what? Maybe we should go into business together. And Dorothea almost immediately goes, I have an idea for uh, us to go into partnership together and sell ready-made dishes to parties. She jumped up and did it, but first she had to, like, readjust all her, like, (laughs) Are they in bed? Yeah, Yeah, they're they're all, like, naked in bed. She's like, I have an idea. Just like, I have an idea. Hang on, I'm going to get up. Yeah, so but it seems like it takes like five minutes because she's also old. So <laughs> it's like, oh, hold on. Uh, uh. Sounds of jelly and bone snapping. Uh. So Dorothea <laughs> actually goes to the owner of the Round Corner Bar, which is where she had been working, and bargained to use their kitchen for $150 a month. So she's actually making deals. They actually start this business. They start this business making ready-made dishes for parties. And for the most part, it seems pretty successful. I bet they're old lame dishes too, like Salisbury steak. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I have Cucumber. her cookbook. So. Cucumbers. Oh, yeah, it said that they were actually really good. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, she might be a murderer, but she's also a cook. We do yeah. it all Salisbury steak, shepherd's pie, <laughs> mi- mince, mince meat. So, Ruth starts, Ruth does some stuff that at the time seems like a meatloaf. Hey, I'm trusting my partner. But now that we, you know, we know what the happened is like is the beginning of the end. Sure and the scary. first thing is Ruth takes all the money from her savings out of her sa- her private savings account and opens up a joint account with Dorothea. Okay. The second thing that happens is that Harold and Ruth are fighting a lot because Harold the married and, couple are the fighting. married couple. Okay. Yeah. Are fighting because Dorothea's hanging out a little too much. Because, well, she's, she's over at the house a little too much. Well, what's happening is, is Harold is now in a hospital bed. He's pretty much bedridden, and he just starts calling Ruth from ho- the hospital and just yelling at her. <laughs> and so That's Ruth terrible. is he's bedridden That's now. He's bedridden from all that sex. And so Ruth is just like, I've had it. I don't want to deal with you anymore. So Dorothea says, You should move in to 1426 F Street with me. So, April 11th, 1982, on Easter Sunday, Ruth, with the help of some of her kids, moves into 1426 F Street, which actually, for a little bit, it turns out to be pretty advantageous because they're able to work together and they are seem to be making good money. But Ruth didn't know anything about Dorothea's legal troubles because at the time, Dorothea was going through the trial. She was, um, she was dealing with this trial and Ruth didn't know anything about that. A friend even said that on April 14th, she had visited Ruth and Ruth showed her that she had over $1,000 in her purse. And she said, this is from my business that I started with Dorothea. So her business is going well. On April 24th, however, she calls a friend and says that she's been having terrors. All of a sudden, Ruth says, I can't talk to you. I think I'm going to die. Her friend tells her to immediately... Stop, hang up the phone, call the ER. She goes, I can't. I can't do anything. I don't remember what I'm doing. I don't remember eating dinner or going to bed. I don't know where I am. On April 25th. Oh, that's awful. I know. She's drugging her? Yeah. 
It sounds so disorienting. That's horrible. So on April 25th, she speaks to her son, Alan, but doesn't mention anything about feeling bad. On April 27th, Ruth is visited by two of her children. They say that she looks like she's in a coma, and Dorothea says that the doc she had gone to the ER and that the doctor had given her a shot to calm her down. But the kids are like, well, we didn't hear anything about going to the ER, her going to the ER. How, what uh, happened? And she's like, it's fine. It was something minor. It's yeah, fine. that's what the mom would say. Yeah. It's so sad. So then her other son, Bill Clausen, visits her later in the day and is shocked because he sees that she's, again, looks, she's comatose. She just looks sickly. And this is a woman who, you know, not 10 days earlier was vibrant, was excited about a new business, and now is like not, you know, and now is not able to like, is just lying there with her eyes open and doesn't look like anything's happening. So he noticed that two nights earlier, Ruth had been sitting in a chair with a drink that Dorothea had fixed her. And she says that she fixes her a drink every night. Then that night on April 27th, Bill is is talking to his mom, who's, you know, comatose and kind of still like just kind of staring off into nowhere and tells her, hey, everything's going to be okay. Dorothy is going to take care of you. I'll be back later. And he notices that she starts tearing up and he doesn't know why. So April 28th at 530 a.m., Rosie, one of Ruth's daughters, was awakened by a phone call from Dorothea and she called the parent saying she called the paramedics and Ruth wasn't doing well. When Rosie and the other siblings arrived on the scene, Dorothy informed them that Ruth had passed away. Now, that's so sad. Dorothea seems just as broken up as everybody else. She's a liar. And a, and a good actor. Bitch. At the autopsy... Jesus. <laughs> she killed, she killed <laughs> someone. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. No, yeah. I think we can allow we can. Bitch. Yeah, we can allow it. No. Um, it's crazy because... The summation of the story for Dorothea is that she killed people for your money. But she just liked to kill because she was good at business. She did. Her business was going well. Yeah. All the businesses she starts, hoeing, the, the, the this thing. The prostitution, the madaming. The madaming. This, the, she also runs another one. She was also a pretty good co- a milkshake waitress. She was a mil- she was a milkshake, wait- but then also when she, the boarding house started and it was a legit yeah. boarding house, it was successful too. It's just so. that she wants more. She wants to be able to take money. She's essentially like she likes she, to kill. She just wants that. Well, she I think she just wants to have as much money as possible at her fingertips. And then when when she saw she it's just like Ruth was like first off. This is around the trial date. So this is around the time that she has to come up with money for bail, right? This is around all that stuff. And she sees Ruth as like this cash cow. And so she's like, well, I'll just keep giving her drinks to kind of keep her comatose. So that way I can bilk her out of all of her savings. So I... But she keeps killing... Excuse me. This is the first time that she's killed. This is the first time she killed for profit. She's she's drugged. And harmed. I mean, technically, again, you could argue that Esther Busby was a murder, but this is the first time she intentionally went further and, and the woman died. So I bad for the kids finding out about all this stuff in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, they called the doctors, they called the ER, and they found that that she hadn't, that Ruth Monroe hadn't been to the hospital at all. Ugh, so, dude. you know, I'm it's surprised, I'm surprised they didn't, like, go after her. Bill Clausen, the son, he, like, 
he like never stopped fighting for he was he was one of the main people who like kind of helped get her back on the map good when she was later found out we'll get to this the next part but and then he was also a, a big reason why she Ruth Monroe was involved was part of the counts for her later trial she was added to the to the murder counts wow unfortunately it was declared a mistrial because the defense argued that Ruth had killed herself and that had been trying to kill herself and so the the jury i guess just could not definitively see that it was Ruth who had killed uh, or uh, Dorothy who had killed Ruth so it's a pretty feel good story guys well <clears throat> now we're going to get even to more murder oh cool <laughs> so things are going pretty lush for uh Dorothea Puente. She's, you know, she's out on bail. She's living at 1426F. Uh, Ricardo or Roberto Ordorica has moved to Mexico to visit his family. So she now has free reign of 1426F that she can run as a boarding house, an unlicensed boarding house. But unfortunately, it all comes crashing down when Bert Montoya, one of her tenants, goes missing. Oh, no. So Bert Montoya was the third body found in the garden. And Bert Montoya is the reason why Dorothea Puente is guilty. So I think, or the reason why she was arrested. So I think if, no matter how sad it gets with the story, just keep in mind that Bert Montoya, for whatever he did, he helped from his kindness, from, from being nice to other people, those people took that and never gave up on finding him. So he was the reason why she was caught. So Bert Montoya was a very good, good man. Bert Montoya was a very good man. He was mentally <coughs> disabled. He was a schizophrenic. And he heard voices. Specifically, he would often say that he heard the voice of his father saying that he should kill himself. He would get he would get frightened when he would go by cemeteries because he said that he would hear the dead talking. Friday, November eleventh, nineteen eighty eight, John Cabrera, Detective John Cabrera and his partner Terry Brown are in an office with Jim Wilson, a federal parole agent, and Beth Valentine and Judy Moyes, who are volunteers for the America Outreach Social Workers. Now these two women, much like Ballinger and Rossi in nineteen eighty two, are the reason why are, are the big reason why they, they even went to Dorothea's house and asked to dig up her garden because they were the ones who did the legwork. I mean, these detectives, I don't want to speak ill of detectives because I, ha I know people, I have family that are police officers, but I just feel like these detectives really weren't doing their best work. <laughs> like, sure. And it's the, that's the nicest way I could say it. Yeah. You mean the other detectives? The, these dete the uh, John Cabrera and, and Terry Brown. Oh, I feel like, and any detective, I feel like any detective who has dealt this case, now, maybe I don't understand the legality of it, but it just seems like they just saw older people dying and just were like, why do I care? Why should I, why should I care about that? Right. I want to be out there solving real crime. Yeah. So, they bring this case to John Cabrera and Terry Brown, and John and have, has Jim Wilson uh, come, who recently became Dorothea's parole agent. Now, he had never met the woman. And on top of that, he notes that even though it is widely known that Dorothea Puente runs an unlicensed boarding house, mm -hmm. he notes that on 14 different occasions, 
Agents went into her living quarters and inspected and never once jotted down that they noticed that she was running a boarding house. So Maybe they were just dirty cops. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. It's almost like what's better, being dirty or being dumb? They were just what lazy. Or they were lazy. lazy. Yeah. So, Bert Montoya was born in Costa Rica in the mid-50s. At the time of his disappearance, he was overweight, gray hair, with a whitish beard, or a mustache. He, again, was mentally ill. He was a very sweet, genial man. He enjoyed cigars. He had tuberculosis. He had tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. (laughs) (laughs) Tuberculosis. I barely know him. (laughs) Blood in the way? I never joined the club that would have me as a member. So he was very he he knew. (laughs) What a really shitty way to just start making jokes. He knew Betty Beth Valentine and Junie Moist because of his involvement with the Volunteers of America Detoxification Center, which he lived at before 1982. So he had been living there since 1982. He would oh the Valentine and Moist would always say that he whenever they saw him he would give them a pat on the shoulder. He would ask them how they're doing. And they even looked out for him because they said that one of the things that they worried about him is that he would go along with anything. He would do anything anybody wanted him to do. So they were like, we got to keep our eye on him. So they, they feel like they lucked out because they find this halfway house. They find this boarding house run by Dorothea Puente at 1426 S street. They like that. She immediately comes out, starts speaking Spanish to him. She seems to be really sweet to him. You know, I mean, especially back then, but I mean, it is so sad how terribly mentally ill patients are treated. And so to find somebody who's sweet and who's who's helpful and who wants to be there for somebody like that, because I mean, for all of Bert Montoya's charismatic charm, he did need a lot of care. So the fact that uh, Dorothea Puente was like, yeah, 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 I'll take care of him. I'll take care of him. Don't, don't you worry about it was like a godsend. And for ever, for several months, everything seemed great. Bert was losing weight. He was he looked like he was getting healthier. His clothes were clean. He was his beard was shaved. You know, he was he looked like he was showering. However, in early August, Dorothea sets up had set up an account for him at Joe's Corner, which is like a bar/liquor store where he could go in once or twice a week, drink and eat a burrito. And he one time, the patrons notice that he goes in there around 11.30 a.m., has a beer and a burrito, and then just immediately passes out. And they say that it seemed like he had been drugged. So then, August 16, 1988, he um, he walks into the detox center just angry and confused, saying he doesn't want to go back to live at 1426 F Street anymore because Dorothea is unkind to him. But he can't. But nobody can figure out why. They keep asking him, "Tell us why. What's the reason?" And Bert just can't communicate that to them. So they end up having to bring him back to 1426 F Street. I think Bert Montoya looks like the old guy from Jurassic Park. The old, like the old guy when he like welcome to Jurassic Park. Oh, he looks like that, and he sounds like Antonio Banderas. But he's Costa Rican. Do you think he could still look like the old guy from Jurassic Park? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there's white. There's okay. whites. There's white Costa Ricans. Thank but I'm you. sure he's just like, oh, yes. I will. I don't want to go back there. I don't like how I am treated. Yeah. But he's still walking around with the cane. 
with the, uh, with the top that has the mosquito <laughs> pre- preserved in maple syrup. Oh, I like that. I yeah. just remember that movie. He's wearing all the white, by the way. I just remember. Oh, that absolutely. Movie. What was the scariest part of Jurassic Park for you? The part where my mom wouldn't let go of my arm. Oh, okay. No, no. Um, uh, I saw that movie with my mom, and she was freaking <laughs> the fuck out. <laughs> Living her goddamn life. Um, the scariest part of the original Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Maybe the kitchen scene with the Velociraptors. Yes, that to me is the one. Saddest part, the one where you see all that food going to waste. <laughs> that cream. was the saddest part for me. Spend no expense. All those skinny bitches, <laughs> and there's a whole, like four tubs of ice cream. I'm yeah. like, oh, I could have, I could have wasted all that stuff. I mean, I would have died because those raptors would have killed me. What about you? What do you think your scariest part of Jurassic Park was? I don't know. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Dorothea Puente. Old people are dying. <laughs> oh, we're bringing it back. We're bringing it back to 1980. 85. So Dorothea Puente starts. So the, uh, here's what I think. Old people are dying. <laughs> Thank you for making your point again. But Jurassic Park. <laughs> so here's where, again, I feel like Dorothea Puente is. Who will preserve our elderly? You and I. It's not us. Nature will find a way. Pretty good. Pretty here's good. the thing. It's pretty good. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think Dorothea Puente, this is where we see her downfall again, which is that she just can't stop herself, okay? So she's got Bert Montoya. She's got him. She's got all of him signing over her his Social Security checks to her, okay? Yeah. She made herself a payee. She's she's living the high life. All she has to do is take care of this really sweet, you know, like, large man who will essentially do all of her yard work for her. She loves to kill. For free. She loves it. So, but then she just can't get her, so she starts secluding him from the public. And by the, how she does that is she starts calling all of his healthcare representatives and saying, he doesn't want to deal with you anymore. He, he, stop calling, stop visiting. Oh, what a bitch. And people are like, that's suspicious. (laughs) So, cause you know, people usually don't have their, you know, landlord call their doctor and tell them (laughs) to stop, stop calling them. (laughs) <laughs> I need you to leave what's his name Bert yeah I need you to leave Bert alone what who is this I'm Dorothea <laughs> who is Dorothea are you, his, are you his mother are you his sister no <laughs> why anyone gonna jump in with me I was looking around and you were looking at me <laughs> I was letting you do a monologue I was letting you have your own stage I liked it. I thought it was funny because I didn't do it yet. I was going to go off on a tirade about our landlord doing that. Get it. Get out of here. Okay. All right. So on September 2nd, a representative at the Consumer Affairs section at the main branch of the Sacramento Post Office, say that times five times fast, uh, receives a call around 1030 a.m. It's Bert Montoya. He sounds frightened, stuttered, and nervous. In the background, you can hear a woman yelling, I'll put his goddamn ass out on the goddamn street. The representative asks what's wrong, and Bert says, She's got my social security check, and she's yelling at me. I can't give you my phone number. I live at 1426 F Street. And the representative said, oh, my God, you sound so attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Can you play guitar? He's like, yes. 
But he doesn't have one on him, so he just goes ding 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 ding. That's my favorite song. Thank you. <laughs> so the woman in the background keeps yelling and refuses to give Bert a pencil to write anything down. So Bert hangs up and calls back twice in the afternoon, wanting to make sure that something will be done to for his social security check. Bert Montoya is not heard from again. Remember, we have Valentine and Moyes, who are the um, social worker outreach program. Moyes reaches out in mid-September and asks Dorothea where Bert Montoya is. Bert's gone to Mexico. He'll be back in a few days. That's what Dorothea says. I'm just deciding I'm going to make her a valley girl. She Moyes goes, okay. So she comes back at the end of September, and Dorothea says, you know... Bert loved it so much in Mexico and really got along well with his sister and brother-in-law, who is a respected banker, which I just feel like is like, why did you need to throw that in there? It's a lie. So he says that he's going to stay with them. So Moise tells Dorothea, well, I really want to talk to Bert, so can you please have him call me? And Bert, Dorothea says, yes, I'll make it happen. Well, she receives no call, and Moise calls back Dorothea and says, okay, I really need to talk to Bert. Where is he? He never called me. And Dorothea says, Bert's called me. He's doing just fine. So Moise is like, I don't understand why she won't just not, she won't just let me use the phone or let me talk to Bert. So they think maybe what happened was the worst that they think is, is that, yeah, she did let him get on a bus. She got mad at him. She didn't want to take care of him anymore. And she got, she let him get on a bus and go to Mexico and, you know, he can't navigate well, so he's somewhere lost and can't, you know, doesn't know where he is. So so they're like, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. On November 1st, Valentine and Moyes contact Dorothea and say that Bert has actually been transferred to a new social worker. So they actually need to get in touch with Bert now because they need to start all new paperwork. And Dorothea begins to cry and says, I've just bought Bert a Christmas present. What? what? Yeah. It's so weird. Like, she literally has an answer for everything. Yeah, but they're all like bad That's answers. not an answer. It's just like a, like a, a nothing. Well, she's basically <clears throat> saying like, hey, he's already settled. You know? Like, I've already bought him a Christmas present. He's already planning on coming back here. You know, like, it's just sort of like, he's, we've already got plans in motion. So basically, Moyes tells Dorothea, look, we'll give you till November 7th. If we don't hear back from him, then we are calling the police and reporting him missing. And Dorothea says, I'm going to Mexico. I'm bringing him back myself. I'll be here. Oh, he'll be back on Saturday. So Monday morning, Moyes gets a call from Bert's brother-in-law. He says that he had picked him up from Utah and had driven through Sacramento and wanted to let him know that Bert was totally fine. Well, Moy says, okay, we'll put Bert on the phone. And the, the brother-in-law goes, ah, well, Bert's really sick. <laughs> he's, he's laying down right now. He's not feeling great. So, uh, uh, I gotta go. Uh, people are calling my name. I gotta go, bye. He's doing great. Don't, don't contest anymore. Bye. I love that your Bert's brother sounds like Bert from Sesame Street. Yes. <laughs> So then on top of that, he gets a letter from Bert's, she gets a letter from Bert's uh, brother-in-law stating, hey, just so you know, we're going to be living in Utah now, so don't worry about it. Don't contact us. We're fine. So 
the, this is all really suspicious because, A, they there's no family of birds that lives in Utah. The letter was was postdated in Reno, Nevada. So they're like, well, why would they go to Reno to do it, you know? So they start asking around, and they they find this woman named Brenda Trujillo, who was an ex-tenant of Dorothea's. And she just says flatly, look, people are disappearing from that place, and they're probably getting buried in the garden. Because every single time somebody gets somebody dies shortly after she does some yard work. And so that's what's happening. So then Valentine and Moyes essentially go to Cabrera and Brown and say, hey, this is what we found. We also, the detectives also interviewed, went to the, the 1426 F Street uh, prior to this, this meeting, and Dorothea said that, that the Bert had left and had a, a tenant at the time, John Sharp, testify and say that he saw them getting in a pickup truck and Bert and this other guy getting in a pickup truck. Well, then John Sharp, they go back later and John Sharp says, no, I actually lied for Dorothea. There was, I didn't see anybody in a pickup truck. So they decide to go back and visit Dorothea. So they go back on veterans day and they Talk to her for about an hour, and it's like, do you want some coffee? Do you, can I get you guys some tea? Do you want to, you know, and they're like, no, thank you. And she's like, the weather's really nice. And they're like, uh, yeah, you know, it's not too hot, not too cold. She's like, no, that's the kind of weather that I like. You know, just like real chit-chat stuff. Right. Which is too hilarious to me that that's the, <laughs> that's the stuff they're going to talk about when it's like, did you murder Bert Montoya? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, they got to start somewhere. It's like trying to find a segue for this podcast is hard. Trying to find a segue for a question of <laughs> where is the body of Bert Montoya? I feel like would be like, speaking of deviled eggs. Yeah. <laughs> How would you get into that? <laughs> so they just flat out ask her what happened to Bert. And Dorothea basically essentially says the, the story that she she has been telling from the beginning. So they say, okay, well, we've heard some things and we would like to take a, we would like to dig around your yard. Is that possible? Fully expecting her to say no, but she says yes. So they go, oh, okay. So they go out and they grab some shovels and they notice that the yard is a little bit of a hodgepodge of just random ornate stuff that like, if you think about it, could possibly be markers for where bodies are buried. That's funny. Because, like, there's, like, a a, a small fruit tree randomly somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. There's a metal tool shed for no reason. There's a tiny gazebo in the upper part of the yard that's, like, almost, like, hidden. So it's, like, (laughs) why would a gazebo need to be there? She thought of the gazebo before the tool shed. Yes. The tool shed's in the middle of the yard. Yes, it's in the it's in the upper part of the yard where the tool shed should be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and where's the fountain? Oh, it's on the gazebo. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like an old sink that was turned into a planter by a wooden fence that's just like resting against a wooden fence. It's like that was definitely a marker to be like, all right, here's a dead body. Like, right, yeah. it's such a weird like. The way they describe it in this book I read was so weird that it's like, yeah, she was obviously 
doing this so that way she could remember where she put the dead bodies. Sounds like the yard looks like somebody photoshopped a whole bunch of stuff on like a big. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's not that big of a yard either. It's an actually quite a narrow yard, so it's all quite awkward and like Ugh. scrunched in together. Sounds very British. It's a yeah, it's very British old lady thing to do. Of like, let yes. me put this here so I don't for, so I don't forget where it is. You know, yeah. not many people talk about this, but the British and old ladies kind of similar. <laughs> I feel yes. like. Cheese, yes. Biscuits, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like tomatoes for breakfast. I feel like that's all food stuff. British old ladies always have this like days look. It's like they're the they're in the space kind time continuum. Yeah, they're both an old lady and they're British. They they're just ripping are, the world. They just are British. Like they're the entity of Britishness. <laughs> they're the British. They're like, the Britishness of Britishness. <laughs> so I forgot to mention this. The book that I read for this episode, for these episodes, is called The Bone Garden, The Chilling Story of a Female Serial Killer, and it's by William P. Wood. It's a little fantastical at times, but I feel like overall it had a lot of good detail in it. So just FYI if you want to check it out. It's also available on Kindle, which really helps me. Back to the um, the story. So they start digging around. They decide to start with this fall near this uh, fruit tree. All of a sudden, this tenant, Mervyn John McCauley, comes out of the yard, or comes out of his window. He, like, opens up his window. His window's, like, window's, like directly over the garden. So he opens up his window, and he just kind of is, like, smoking out his window, and he just says, you might find some garbage buried in there. They're <laughs> just like, what? Like, that's weird. And he just is like, goes back to smoking. And everybody's just like, all right, well, that's a suspicious thing that that guy just did. And so, side note, well, two sad side notes. One thing, they think Bert Montoya, um, sadly, maybe was an unwitting accomplice in burying some of these bodies. Oh, no. Because, you know, he would go along with anything. He was a big guy. He could carry stuff. Also, there was a woman who was an inmate in the prison when Dorothea was in prison um, awaiting trial and she had overheard Dorothea saying that she Bert Montoya was so dumb she could get him to do anything and in, in, in including burying six of the bodies that she had killed. So that was one thing. Another thing is they think that Jane, this James John, or sorry, they think this John McCauley was an accomplice because he was the only tenant in the whole uh, house that was allowed to live on the second floor with Dorothea and and was also allowed to drink with her. She never drank with her tenants. She was always like, this, your business is, this, me drinking is personal and you're just business. So I don't want to mix business with pleasure. And he was the only one that was allowed to drink with her and was allowed to live up there in a room on the second floor. And so they think maybe he she did that because he like knew he helped her or knew about stuff for example some of the some of the people they said that maybe they were suffocated um because the sedative you know dalmain was just a sedative so they think maybe that he was he was the one who came in and suffocated them and stuff like that he probably did some horrible stuff on his own yeah and she knew about it so he knew about her bad stuff and they were just like oh you're bad i'm bad let's have a drink yeah I think the fact that somebody could pull out, roll up their window 
and not their first question to cops digging around the garden isn't what's going on it's you're gonna find some garbage buried down there. <laughs> it's just yeah you've done some shit wilson the the parolee the parole agent finds the first body now uh julius kelly a former tenant told the police in 1988 that he Dorothea had given him some pills to take and told him that Bert Montoya was on a bus going to Mexico, which I just think is hilarious because it just shows that while even after she mur she's like, she's got like so many different cons going on. So like while she's busy figuring out how she's going to get rid of Bert's body, she's like trying to drug this other guy and going like, here, take these pills. Also don't ask about Bert Montoya. He's on a bus to Mexico. <laughs> Such a weird catch all yeah so um, she's just like trying to cover all her bases offering yeah. too much information to people she doesn't even know <laughs> yeah and then lastly she's asking other people on the bus lastly david if david they, anthony i'm finishing this oh sorry i'm sorry repeat the joke repeat the joke <laughs> she's asking other people on the bus if they've heard of bert montoya <laughs> and then to never speak of him again yeah have you heard about montoya uh yeah no, no. Good. Oh, okay. So which one? Did we, end the, did we land on no? Was the one? <laughs> you betcha. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So David Anthony, an acquaintance of Dorothea, would later testify at trial that Dorothea had mailed, had him mail the letter pretending to be the brother-in-law and also make the phone call pretending to be the brother-in-law. She also asked David Anthony to help him to help her dig several trenches to find pipe in her yard, but then he couldn't find the pipes, and she just said, "Well, just leave the trenches open. It's fine." So that could have been like open grave, and that could have been one that she put Bert Montoya in. So Bert Montoya's body. So Bert Montoya was found. He was he. She was charged with his murder. Unfortunately, it was declared a mistrial they couldn't definitively say whether or not they felt because here's the issue the defense and we'll find this in the other cases the defense uses the thing of she's running she's a felon she's running an unlicensed boarding house if a tenant dies in in her place she doesn't want to call the police and let them know because she's going to go to jail so instead she just has them buried and so this was one of those ones where they couldn't definitively prove that she had a specific hand in his demise, even though she lied about his whereabouts and all that stuff that could prove that she did lie about him after his death, but it doesn't prove that she, she had a hand in his murder. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll do it for part two. We got a lot of information and we still got, uh, seven more, yeah, seven more people to get through. This lady was busy. She was busy. I would like to end this on some lies that she told, which I think are pretty funny, just to kind of end on a high note. She, uh, we, you know, as we've learned, and she's claimed that she's a doctor and a lawyer. <laughs> she also claimed at one point that she had a love affair with the Shah of Iran <laughs> and a movie career. Just a generic movie career. Okay. Yeah. I would love if somebody asked her to like name a movie that she was in. <laughs> Gone with the wind. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, Trump's favorite movie. Uh, Trolley's a trampoline? <laughs> Had been on, on the Bataan Death March and survived the atomic bomb in Hiroshima. What? Yes. What? Why is she suddenly in Japan? She's in way too many places. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, there's no way she could have gotten a connecting flight in time to get to Why is she Hiroshima. in Asia? Yeah. Why is she in Asia? Like, yeah. Why is I she even there? The- <laughs> for okay. her movie career. Oh, that's right. That's where you go for one. <laughs> yeah. She's fucking bonkers. You know how so many people are like, oh, what we need in Asia is an older <laughs> Mexican woman. Yeah. The Yakuza were looking to cast like. <laughs> Yolanda from yeah. the, their for their version of Selena. Yeah, they were like, we need we need a woman who looks like a frock with hair. <laughs> <laughs> I like that she's just chiming in and telling people all this stuff. She's like, you know, I've turned the Great Chicago Fire. <laughs> oh yeah, so many people. I can't tell you how many people were like, I like her, but she lies a lot. Uh, and it, I feel like if you like a bartender would say bartenders would say that bartenders like plural. Yeah. And I feel like as a bartender, you hear lies a lot. So the fact that you're like that woman's lying and a lot is is a lot of lying. That's a yeah, lot yeah. of a lot of lying. Yeah. She's like, I was the gun that shot JFK. <laughs> Bigfoot and I had a sexual tryst. I didn't I didn't shoot him. I exploded his brain with my mind. I am the Holy Grail. Yeah. Look at me. <laughs> Cups her hands. <laughs> oh man. Oh, what's that guy? Oh, I'm trying to think. This is gonna be a really funny bit. And then you guys are all gonna be like, Oh, I'm so glad she looked it up. Uh I'm the third Gallagher brother. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That was it? Yeah. Oh. Yep, yep, that's it. Because you know there's two yeah. Gallagher's? Yeah, and they're okay. both like, no, we know. All right, and on that, thank you for listening to Bloody Podcast. This is part two. We're going to get into the... So now Dorothy has been found out. We're going to get into the other bodies and her relationships to them, the victims. We're also going to get into how she escapes from the house where there are tons of police officers digging up dead bodies. How she just walks out. (laughs) <laughs> and escapes and escapes to Los Angeles and what happens when she gets to LA Good God. and then what happens when she gets back to LA we so, needed we needed some of the cops that were on that old other old bitty case we did the old garishment yes to be on this old old bitty yes we needed those yeah those guys i mean those guys i would say you could even say they hated old people for how much they dogged <laughs> oh, they dogged them we needed some people who like hated old people and were like, old people got it made. They got it too good. See you next week.